When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. It seems like this time of year, I'm bombarded with images of the most beautiful sewing spaces. Everyone's showing off their new storage products or organization tips, and I just find myself fantasizing about having one of these fully stocked, completely clean sewing rooms with enough storage and workspace for all my needs. Some of these images I see are on allpeoplequilt.com website. Um, And anytime we post them, we get comments on social media saying, um, it doesn't look like anyone uses this space, or this isn't a realistic sewing space. And in some, in some cases I do agree. Um, Although, on a personal note, I would just like to give a quick shout out to all my fellow neat freaks out there because um, we know that a super clean and organized space is actually achievable and it helps us uh, just be more creative when we have a clean space. But I know in the quilting world, a little mess and a little clutter are more common, so no judgments on either side. Um, And what that all got me thinking about is how our personalities play into our spaces. So we may love a dream sewing space we see on Pinterest, but if we picked that room out of our computer screens or our phone screens and plopped it into our home, we may quickly realize it is not as dreamy as we imagined. And that's because we need to consider how we work, how we like our organization, how our minds process information, and more. And if the dream sewing space isn't set up to cater to our individual needs and likes, then maybe it's not so dreamy after all. In episode 497 of this podcast, we aired part one of Create Your Dream Sewing Space. It was one of our most popular episodes of all time, so I highly recommend going back to listen to it if you haven't already. But in that episode, we walked our listeners through a visualization process to help them picture their dream sewing space. And then we shared little steps that they could take as they have the time and the money to get closer to that ultimate space. But we left some questions out mainly about what we need in our sewing spaces. So that episode, that part one episode, focused very much on what we wanted our spaces to be. But our personalities determine what we need to make the dream spaces functional. So in continuation of that episode, we're doing a part two of Create Your Dream Sewing Space, where I'm going to ask you to consider some questions about yourself and how that plays into what you need in your space. So the first question, does visual clutter inspire you or overwhelm you? So much of the quilting process is 
color and design and pretty fabric and supplies. And some people feel a lot of positive energy and creative ideas when they can see all their supplies and all their fabrics. They may love to have a design wall full of projects, uh, maybe a bulletin board with pictures and fabric swatches pinned to it. And these people may like to have all their supplies displayed in the open, such as on a pegboard. And their fabric may sit on open shelves to see. But some people find themselves getting easily distracted or overwhelmed by having too many things in their line of sight. They may find it hard to focus on their projects or find what they need in a space that feels busy to them. So these people may find comfort and fabric stored behind closed doors or in storage bins. Uh, they might prefer, prefer storing tools and drawers or in closed containers on shelves. And they may actually like empty walls to rest their eyes on and kind of daydream of new ideas while they're sewing. The next question, and this is a similar one to think about, do you attach a lot of meaning to objects or are objects just objects to you? So if objects are just objects, you may feel more comfortable storing things away, uh, maybe grouping dissimilar objects together in storage containers, or even rearranging how things are stored or decluttering your space to help the storage work better for you because the objects serve a functional purpose only. So you'll organize them best for your space and your needs and really not give it a second thought. But those who attach a lot of meaning to objects may want to have special displays or special groupings for their supplies or fabrics. And their organization may look a little different. For instance, uh, they might separate fabric they've bought on vacations from the rest of their stash instead of organizing everything by color. Um, or they may have two places to store pin cushions, one for those they use on a daily basis and maybe one for those special ones they've inherited or received as gifts. Another question to consider, do you like collecting or using things up. So I always joke with my husband because uh, we're on opposite sides of this question. Um, so nothing brings me more satisfaction than using something up. So the act of buying one thing, finishing it, throwing it away, and getting out of my space brings me so much joy. And I find these moments on a daily basis. So, um, you know, with rolls of toilet paper, uh, maybe jars of peanut butter, fat quarters of fabric. I just love using something to completion. On the other hand, my husband likes to collect things. So he likes to have two kinds of jelly in the fridge so he can pick what kind he's in the mood for that day. Um, he has more t-shirts than any other person I know and he still buys more when he sees one he just loves. And I know for a fact that if my husband sewed, he would absolutely save even the smallest of scraps because he couldn't bear to get rid of anything he might still use in a project someday. So do you see how this may translate to your sewing space? If you like using things up, you probably don't have extras of things lying around um, and therefore don't need a lot of extra storage. 
You may not save scraps, or if you do, you may cut them down into one or two usable sizes and then make a scrap quilt when you've saved enough. You probably also find a joy and energy from completing quilts and may not have too many UFOs or works in progress hanging about. But people who like to collect things may have a lot of projects going at once, so they may need the storage and the space to accommodate that. They may need a lot of space for scraps as well as space to store their uh, collection of vintage supplies or antique quilts or kind of any other obsessions they've had over the years. And they may benefit from maybe something like extra closet space because collectors sometimes forget what they have and buy more than they need or buy things in multiple colors just because, you know, they're cute. So they may need to have that overflow storage for supplies that they don't need right now, but they still like. Okay, another question. Are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer? So this kind of goes hand in hand with being a collector or someone who uses things up. And you can be all different combinations of things and that could cause some problems. Like for instance, I'm an underbuyer, meaning that I never stock up on extra supplies and I dislike shopping. But because I'm also someone who likes to use things up, I run out of supplies pretty frequently and then I get stalled on projects because I need to order more thread or batting or fabric. So with that combination and my sewing space, I would benefit from seeing my supplies in the open so that I can keep track of when I'm running low on something. And I also might benefit from having like a shopping list hanging in my room so that I can add things to it as I'm noticing I'm running out so I can make an effort to restock earlier. People who are overbuyers like to stock up on things in case of emergencies um, or because there was a good sale uh, or because they found their favorite product fabric or color ever and they can't imagine ever running out of it. So overbuyers need that extra storage space and a clear labeling system so they know what they have and where things go so that when they're bringing all these new things into their house, um, it doesn't become clutter around their space. It has a clear place where they store it. Overbuyers may also benefit from keeping a list in their space or on their phone of things they recently bought, so they're not tempted to bring home more the next time they hit up their local quilt shop. And last question, are you a person who leaves mail on the counter to deal with later, or do you file, recycle, and deal with mail as soon as it comes? So if you're a person who leaves their mail out, you may be a person that likes to have all your sewing supplies right at hand, sitting available on your workspace for whenever you'd like to grab it. You might want to gather your most used supplies for your sewing machine workspace, uh, your cutting table, and your ironing board into three separate bins or containers so that you have things right where you need them when you're working. But if you're a person that likes to put the mail away immediately, uh, you may like storing your tools out of sight in a drawer or keeping your favorite supplies in one container that you can carry with you from workspace to workspace and then maybe even put away at the end of your sewing session. 
So that's all the questions I have for you. Um, I do want to say that it is not a one-size-fits-all situation. So some people are really bothered by certain types of clutter and not others. Um, so you may be a person who loves to see all your fabric and quilting books on display, but maybe dislike the sight of needles and thread and you want to store those hidden away. Um, or you may overbuy fabric, but underbuy other things like rotary cutter blades or thread. You may have one collection of items that are very meaningful to you, but then not have strong feelings about other supplies in your space. So some people might lean heavily toward one or the other option in these questions, um, and some people may fall somewhere in the middle, and there's no right or wrong answer. These questions are just meant to get you thinking and acknowledge some truths about yourself that maybe you've never thought about in terms of how your sewing space is set up or what types of organization would work best for you. Everyone's dream sewing space is different, and it can evolve over time. Um, and I hope this episode helped you get a little closer to knowing what steps you can achieve to get your dream space. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing some reader tips. Welcome back. Now it's time for reader tips, where we share your best quilting advice. So if you listened to last week's episode, episode 542, called When to Let Go of a Project, I asked for some help. Uh, and boy, did our listeners deliver. I have never received more emails about a topic on this podcast before. So for those who haven't listened to the episode yet, I shared my struggle with letting go of finished quilts that I'm just no longer in love with. And those included some of my first quilts where the quality wasn't great, uh, some wall hanging size quilts that I just don't have a use for in my home, and some quilts that have special meaning to me but just don't fit in with the style or decor of my home, so I'm just not displaying them. And I asked our listeners to share their advice with me, and they had some amazing advice. So I wanted to share it on today's show for anyone else struggling with the same problem that I am. And these ideas came in a few different categories, so I'm just going to kind of generalize a bit. So many people said to donate quilts to animal shelters. In fact, this was one of the top recommendations, so everyone has those animals top of mind right now. Um, and people mention this as specifically a great choice for maybe any quilts that have construction issues or need repairs, since um, when you donate them to animal shelters, they may not be treated, you know, the most delicately. Uh, many people also said homeless shelters. And I had a special email from Betty McCain who said, I have been homeless and now live in senior housing. In both situations, I know people would be thrilled to have a quilt. Most of these won't even see the imperfections. They will be happy for the comfort and warmth and excited that someone thought about them. Perhaps a simple envelope backing could be top-stitched to the wall hangings to simulate a pillowcase. Love that suggestion, Betty. I got a few recommendations to donate to hospitals, specifically the obstetrics unit, and Ruth Crittell told me this. 
I used to work in obstetrics. Maybe a happy place for most, but unfortunately not all babies are born alive, some because they were born too soon. With these little angels, we take pictures so the family have something to hold on to. We usually wrap them in quilts that are donated for this purpose. Many are the size of Barbie dolls and up, so you could cut down and bind. Those quilts then are given to the family with pictures, hand and footprints. So I have never heard of this before, Ruth, so I'll definitely have to check out uh, the hospitals in my area to see if they do something like this. And similarly, Maria Fleming told me, I am measuring my old stacks of wall quilts and looking for washability and whether they're baby appropriate. Our hospitals get cuddle quilts from several guilds for their neonatal ICUs. So these are 22 or 23 inch square quilts to cover the isolettes and then go home with the baby and family. If I have some appropriate sizes and styles, I'll add our quilt label as a cuddle quilt donation. So I love knowing that there are needs for smaller quilts, like the wall hangings I'm trying to get rid of. And Maria also suggested asking at places like Ronald McDonald houses, children's hospitals, and assistant living centers to see if they would like wall hangings to brighten their spaces, which I think is a great idea. Stephanie Lockhart pointed out that right now Hancock's of Paducah is collecting quilts to distribute to the people affected by the tornadoes in Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, it's also so nice when there's like a central location collecting quilts to distribute because it takes some of that hard work of the research and figuring out where to donate it yourself. So th thanks for that recommendation, Stephanie. Some people told me to photograph my meaningful quilts that I no longer want and then hang the photos in my space and then I can donate the quilts. Um, and others told me to jump on the quilted coat bandwagon and repurpose some of those special quilts into a clothing item. So that's an interesting one to consider. <laughs> and Robin McGuire said to Make them into bags, totes, boxes, or caddies for hot dishes. You can find lots of patterns for these that call for yardage, but that could be easily adapted to using already quilted materials. And that's such a great idea, Robin, because I could cut up some of those quilts to make small gifts for everyone on my list next year, or even some useful decor items for my space. Thank you truly to everyone who emailed in. Um, and I promise that even if I didn't get a chance to email you back, I read your email and I love hearing from everyone. And since I'm speaking of reader emails, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Bonnie from Lake Girl Quilts. Uh, she heard on the podcast a few weeks ago that one of my goals was to sew a bear paw quilt. And she sent me one of her patterns featuring a bear paw block. And it is it was just so, so sweet, and I just feel like I don't deserve you all. Like, we just have the best listeners in the whole world. So, um, but anyways, for anyone interested, the bear paw pattern, Bonnie said, is a freebie when you sign up for her newsletter. So visit lakegirlquilts.com and sign up for the pattern. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing some thrifty sewing tips and answering a listener question. Welcome back. 
I'm handing the mic over to Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More, for So Thrifty, a segment where we share tips to help you save money in your sewing space. Take it away, Joanna. Today on So Thrifty, we're going to talk about sustainable sewing and how it can save you money with your sewing hobby. The trend of sustainable, eco-friendly sewing has taken our staff by storm. In anticipation of Earth Day, the April 2022 issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, which is out later this week, has a feature story and several projects focused on sustainable sewing. I know we're going to be talking more about this topic closer to April, but I just couldn't wait to share some of it with you today, especially since it can help you save money in your sewing room. A lot of quilters don't know how millions of tons of textile waste ends up in landfills each year. Part of sustainable sewing is not wasting and instead using what you already have around you. This saves you money because you don't have to buy new stuff, but it also helps keep pro products out of landfills. The factories that make these goods and the transportation to get these products from factories to consumers are well known for polluting. It's a small thing, but if you can pull items in your stash, use up small scraps, and recycle what you can't use, then you can do your individual part to help cut down on pollution. Another small thing you can do to save money but still make a difference is try to figure out if there are ways to salvage textiles you have around the house rather than immediately tossing them if there's something wrong with them. We've talked before about how using fabric from clothing that's been ripped or broken um, can be used in other projects or how you can attempt to mend those clothes wherever possible. However, I would encourage you to think outside the box and take a look at some items other than clothing, like tablecloths, sheets, and curtains that might have a tear or a stain on them. Instead of just tossing them, try to upcycle the good portion that's left of that fabric. For example, I have a knit throw that my dog ripped in the corner with her nails, and because it's knit, I'm having trouble fixing it without causing more runs. However, there's a good enough chunk of it left that I'm going to cut it up and make it into a simple skirt. I'm going to need to add some interfacing so that it doesn't stretch too much. I get to waste less though since I don't have to toss it, use up some supplies that I already have, save money because I don't have to buy new yardage of fabric for the skirt, which, you know, as we know, fabric can be a little pricey, and I don't have to buy a fast fashion skirt since I need a new skirt, because fast fashion is hard on the environment. In terms of items you frequently buy, do you ever go to the store, look at those items, and think, these look so simple, I bet I can make that. Well, the good news is, you probably can. Items like napkins and basic curtains are super easy to make, often using just what's in your stash, and there are some free patterns for them online, including on allpeoplequilt.com. You can turn scraps into makeup pads, or sew what some sewers call reusable paper towels, which are squares of fabric sewn together to use as rags. The best part about these projects is you can make them, wash them, and reuse them multiple times, helping you to cut down on consumerism. I know the holidays have just wrapped up, but when I was shopping, I saw a lot of manufactured garlands for sale as decor items. This is another one of those things where you've probably thought, I bet I could make that myself, and you can. 
Make them for yourself by using scraps and, depending on the weight of the fabric, some interfacing and twine. Really simple. It will be even better than the store-bought version because it will be prints that you love. So I would encourage you that the next time you think, boy, I bet I could make that, follow it up with, well, why not? And then see what you come up with. These are just a few ways to bring sustainability into your sewing while also saving you some money. Quilters are incredibly creative, so brainstorm some new creative ways that you can incorporate sustainability into your own sewing and then share those ideas with us. Thanks so much, Joanna. I just love these suggestions and I'll definitely be making some of these changes in my own sewing space. And like she said, watch for the April 2022 issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, which is on newsstands next week, for more sustainability tips and eco-friendly projects. Now it's time for Ask Us Anything, a segment where we answer our listeners' most pressing quilting questions. And today's question comes from Deborah Traub. She says, When I'm cutting fabric, my ruler shifts at the very end and my pieces don't come out the right size. Any tips to stop the slip? Great question, Deborah. So this has probably happened to all of us at one point in our lives, and there are some easy solutions. So this is actually a pretty common problem when you're cutting larger pieces of fabric because it's almost impossible to maintain that consistent pressure on the ruler um, when the ruler you're using is so long. So if you're cutting with a long ruler, you'll want to stop cutting maybe halfway through your cut and move your hand farther up on the ruler and then start cutting again. And that will just help maintain the correct pressure to hold the ruler in place for the entire length of your cut. You can also buy non-slip adhesive grips to add to the back of your ruler um, to keep it from slipping. So a pretty popular type um, are called True Grips, um, and we can link to those in our show notes if you need to buy them. If this problem is occurring when you're cutting multiple layers of fabric, you want to reduce the number you're cutting. So we recommend usually no more than three or four layers at a time. Um, Sometimes the fabric can, if there's too many layers, shift a little more than normal. They're kind of slippery against each other. So you just want to cut down on the number of layers you're cutting. And as a general note, your cutting table should be a little lower than your waist so that you can get the best pressure while you're cutting and avoid any strain on your hands and wrists. So if things are slipping, but your cutting table is a lot lower or a lot higher than your waist, that could be causing some of the problems too. So we're planning a very special Ask Us Anything episode in March, and we are needing all of the listener questions. So please email me at apqpodcast at meredith.com. This email is listed in our show notes so that we can start compiling a list of questions. These episodes are always so much fun for us to do, and the questions can be about anything like quilting techniques, storage, um, about our jobs or personal sewing of the staff, anything sewing related. Um, So we're really open to anything. So I look forward to hearing from everyone. And that's it for today's show. I'll chat with you all next week.